Well, today is the second Sunday of Advent. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. Um, we are making this four-week movement towards Christmas a wonderful, beautiful celebration of the first coming of the Lord Jesus with an eye on his soon return. And uh, during the Advent season, what we have done historically at King Street, whether you be in person or on our YouTube channel, we have um, invited everyone to put the under-resourced in their Christmas budget. It's really important for us to think about others who uh, could use some help, especially at this time of the year. And we really think that we can be way more effective if we pool our resources together, prioritize some very helpful um, organizations or partners that we can work with. And so we've decided to work with First Light Foundation of Hope, who actually help um, unsheltered people in Oshawa or in the Durham region. Uh, we wanna help with the trafficking concern, the human trafficking issue in the Durham region called Set Free Durham. And uh, the, the Daughter Project as well that's um, rooted out of, out of Peterborough. And uh, we wanna help um, with Samaritan's Purse, with under-resourced students in India by providing school supplies for them. It's wonderful to be able to give together so that we can do something significant together. So you can designate by going onto our website, kingstreet.org, the drop-down menu in, on the giving page. Uh, we'll be there for you over and above your tithe to give towards Christmas at King, and every dollar will go towards outreach, both local and global initiatives. And tonight, uh, we'd love to have you come join us in person. Our kids, we're an intergenerational church family, are going to lead us in a kids musical called Jingle Jam. And uh, our space looks absolutely beautiful. Our volunteers and staff have done a wonderful job decorating it so that it's seasonally inspiring. You're going to want to come and check it out. Again, 611 King Street West in Oshawa. Come and allow and celebrate and support the kids to lead us through a Christmas celebration. So that's happening tonight at 6 p.m. And so last week we started this series called Stay Strong at Christmas. And we talked about mental toughness. And uh, today we're going to talk about being spiritually prepared. Next week, Pastor Al will talk about how we can remain uh, relationally resilient. And, and then we'll talk about how we can be uh, very much healthy as it relates to processing our emotions on December the 19th with Jacob Moon on our church family Christmas. So those are some important dates to keep in mind. Um, Pastor Kristen's gonna help us with some um, lengthier readings today. She's gonna be our reader. And so at various times during this teaching, she's going to read from passages in the Older Testament and New Testament. And I've asked her today to help us with our passage to ponder, which is taken from Luke's gospel, chapter one, beginning at verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their utmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So this morning, Pastor Kristen and I will take you through four scene movements, one in the Older Testament, three in the New Testament, which will help us consider what it looks like for us to be spiritually prepared as we move through the Advent season. And uh, this idea of being spiritually prepared is um, an important one for us to consider because so much of life comes out of our spiritual health and our capacity to process the things that come to us. And so um, each scene that we'll look at, there'll be four scenes, 
could stand on its own as a separate teaching. So we'll just really provide a snapshot for you and a summary and some quick application points, and then we'll move on to the next scene. So the first scene is taken from the Older Testament, and we've called it Temple Awakening, uh, where Isaiah is an Older Testament prophet. There are minor and, and um, major Older Testament prophets, and it's not because one is more important than the other, but it's because of the contribution they make to the uh, canon of Scripture, and where Isaiah leaves us with a large portion, a large revelation that's there for us to consider. He's referred to as one of the major prophets. Um, in just a moment, we'll look at chapter 6, a handful of verses, but we'll fast forward for just a second. And chapter nine is a well-known passage uh, that often churches read during the Advent season. And Isaiah was given this um, revelation in chapter nine after he had experienced chapter six. So we're gonna fast forward, then come back to chapter six. So Isaiah chapter nine, verses one and two. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So prior to this revelation in chapter 9 about where the Messiah would be born, Isaiah finds himself in a sacred space. Uh, he's in the temple. And he has a revelation of God that has a dramatic impact on him personally and on the way he spends the remainder of his life. When we end up encountering God, the one true God, everything about us can change. And Isaiah had this kind of experience. And so Isaiah chapter six, uh, verses one through eight. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were six seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. All at the sound of their voices, the, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So Isaiah's spiritual preparedness included gathering in a sacred space or a sacred place for worship. Um, gathering is important. It's always been an important part of the people of God. Uh, whether it be the Jewish community in the Older Testament or whether it be the New Testament Greek and Jewish uh, believers, uh, gathering was really important. They gathered and then they scattered. They gathered and then they scattered. And so Isaiah finds himself in the temple. Now, just a quick bit of backstory. Um, Isaiah is a part of the people of God. He has Jewish roots, obviously. And if you understand a Jewish mindset, um, there are a host of concentric circles that help them understand sacred space. So the land of Israel is sacred and the nation or the city of Jerusalem is sacred. And then the temple is sacred. 
and then there is a holy place and a most holy place within the temple. There are concentric circles that move towards the locality of God's manifest presence, so to speak. And so Isaiah is in a sacred place and he encounters a revelation of God. Now, New Testament believers, those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus, we are taught in the New Testament that we are sacred space, that we are now the sanctuary of God, that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. And so when the community of faith gathers, when God's people gather for worship, um, this is sacred space because what we carry within ourselves is sacred. It's the very presence of God. And so um, gathering in a sacred space for worship is part of being a spiritually prepared person. And then it was gathering in that sacred space for worship that caused Isaiah to grow his measure of self-awareness. As we read through that passage, we realized that once Isaiah caught a revelation and a picture of God, he saw himself differently. His life was right-sized and he realized that he needed pardon and forgiveness and cleansing. He needed healing for his own soul. And so when we gather for worship, when we are in God's presence with God's people, we position ourselves for a clearer picture of God and for a clearer picture of ourselves. This is part of our spiritual preparation. And then I love this about the story that Pastor Kristen read from Isaiah chapter six is Isaiah chose availability. Um, the culmination of his experience of seeing God clearly and himself more clearly was the willingness to be available for the mission of God in the world. The experiences of God's presence and living in community with God's people is always supposed to prepare us for the mission that God is on in the world. And he's looking for partners, people like you and people like me who would join arms with him and be repairers of the world. And so um, as we consider what it means to be spiritually prepared this Advent season, growth and self-awareness and gathering will be an important part of it. When we interact with others and with God, then we can join him on his mission in the world. And so the first scene is this um, temple experience for Isaiah. He is um, aware of his limitations. He's aware of the revelation and the goodness of God. He has his own temple awakening. And then secondly, scene number two is wilderness testing. Now let's turn our attention to Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, some of the dynamics we encounter in life that can be difficult and challenging, we see them as impediments to our spiritual growth or preparedness, when really they may be in God's good providence, opportunities for us to grow and be more adequately prepared for what he has for us to do next in the world. And so our next passage is taken from Matthew chapter three, the end of that chapter, beginning at verse 16, through to chapter four, verse four. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So for Jesus, as we consider this uh, second scene and this um, wilderness testing experience he had, we understand that prior to the wilderness was a baptism moment where Jesus 
identified with the people of God. It was the next right thing for him to do. Now, if you're Jewish and you understand this, the meaning and the significance of Passover, and you understand um, how God delivered his people, the exodus of God, so to speak, where he delivered them from the cruel tyranny of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, we understand that the waters opened up and the people of God walked through on dry ground. And then that same water that opened up came and it swallowed up the Egyptians and their deliverance was tangible and real. And so as a Jewish person, as John the baptizer uh, was leading people through baptism, a baptism of repentance, it was a moment by which they were identifying with the God who delivers them. And Jesus himself was identifying and he was doing the next right thing. We find that doing the next right thing is cumulative in our lives. When we do the next right thing, it positions us well for the next right thing and then the next right thing. It's obedience and it becomes a flywheel effect where momentum continues to move in that one direction. And when we are disobedient, the inverse is true. The flywheel goes the other way. And disobedience or not doing the next right thing leads to not doing the next right thing, which becomes also cumulative. And so we see in Jesus water baptism, a beautiful demonstration of doing the next right thing. Spiritual preparedness involves doing the next right thing. And in fact, out of water baptism, where the uh, heavens are opened and a voice is heard that says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, right on the heels of that experience becomes a season of testing in the wilderness for Jesus. And so testing and temptation is very real. Now I wanna just pause there for a moment. And I want you to consider this. When Satan comes to Jesus, he is challenging him to reconsider what God just said about his identity. Uh, this is my son in whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And then we have Satan say, if you are the son of God. And so God says, this is your identity, you're a son. And then Satan comes and says, I want you to question your identity. Maybe it is a satanic plot in the world for us to misunderstand or question our identity and in the church. Maybe when we see ourselves as servants before we're sons or daughters. Maybe when we just distort our identity just enough to say that we are just um, evolutionary animals only and not image bearers of the one true God. It may lead to a series of cascading distortions in our lives. And so we need to be really clear about our identity. What has God said about who we are? Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And so that's what God did. He made us. We are all reflections of the divine. There is a divine spark in every human person. And Satan wants to come and distort that spark or put out, extinguish that flame in our lives. And so uh, our identity can be challenged and questioned. But at the end of the day, we need to tune our hearing to what God has said about us, just as Jesus did. And then Jesus became crystal clear about his mission. And as he referred to the word of God, as he combated uh, Satan in the uh, wilderness testing experience. So there's the temple awakening of Isaiah, the wilderness testing of Jesus. It's all part of being spiritually prepared. And then scene three is a secular setting. We live in a secular world. And the gospel of Jesus is for the whole world, not just for a small little representation of that world, but for the whole human family. It's for settings where there is a lack or loss of hope or where there may be a measure of ignorance, or where there may even be hostility against the ways of God. And so the people of God are to conduct themselves in a manner that causes the um, light of the gospel to shine brilliantly in a dark, hopeless setting or a hopeless world. 
And so uh, Paul spoke in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, and he said that the God of this world, Satan himself, has blinded the minds and the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see the glorious gospel of grace or the gospel of truth. And so we need to understand that there is a veil, so to speak, that's over the eyes of unbelievers. And uh, we've all been there because those of us who believe now, there, were a time, there was a time in our lives when we didn't believe then. And so thanks be to God for his spirit that opens up the eyes of our heart. But we have a role to play in helping people see clearly. We are called to be responsible, healthy, inspiring witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter provides some very helpful counsel to the early Christians that is very relevant for us today so that we can be the kinds of witnesses. And especially as we move through the Advent season, when we gather with family and friends and coworkers and we celebrate Christmas parties through the office or celebrations socially, whatever that might look like, that we actually represent the Lord Jesus well. And so our next passage is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So the early Christian spiritual preparedness included reverence for Christ. They, they set Jesus apart as king. Uh, they had high regard for the Lord Jesus. Their hearts were well postured. They had a right-sized approach to themselves. They weren't diminished. They understood that God valued them deeply, but they weren't elevated in an unhealthy way where they were distorted and putting themselves at the center of their lives. They had high regard and reverence for Christ. And so if we're going to start by being um, shining lights in a secular context, we need to be spiritually prepared by reverencing ourselves before God. And this is why gathering for worship is so important. When we gather, we actually take inventory of our lives. We're putting ourselves in the presence of God with God's people. And we begin to understand what it means for us to be adjusted according to what God would have for us in the world. And so reverence for Christ is what actually orients the Christian, the Jesus following person, so that they are well positioned for the next two observations from this passage. We are to have, secondly, a thoughtful consideration and approach to our faith. We don't have all the answers. We'll be sitting around dining room tables and living rooms and office parties and the conversation around faith might emerge. We don't have all the answers. We have our own questions still, but we should have some healthy, thought through, reasonable response to why we believe what we believe. And so when we actually can respond intelligently and thoughtfully to people's questions about what we believe to be true, it helps them take next steps on the journey of their own faith. And so um, we want to be the kinds of people who have a reasonable response for the faith that we hold. And if we don't have a reasonable response now, it's okay, but we can go and discover one. And we can kick the tires, so to speak, of our faith and, and learn what it means to respond well and responsibly to the honest questions of others. And people have honest questions, and we still have honest questions about our own faith. And then thirdly, wise and helpful communication. Not just the substance of what we say, which needs to be a reasonable response, but we also have to do it in a manner where we embody the gospel again by how we live. And so we're to do it, as Peter says, respectfully and gently. Uh, we're not supposed to be um, a bull in a china shop. We're not supposed to be overtly bold to the point where we offend people by, by being um, a little bit um, 
in their face, so to speak. We make space for people to process their life and their faith, but we're there gently. And as Jesus the Messiah was described, that he would not uh, break a reed, uh, he would not extinguish a smoldering wick. Um, that's the language that Isaiah uses to describe Jesus, is that he was gentle among us. And so we, as his followers, ought to also be gentle among our friends and family and understand and be sensitive to where they find themselves. Not to be ashamed of the truth, but to speak with confidence, but to obviously be respectful and gentle. It's a reflection of who God is. So spiritual preparation happens through temple awakening, wilderness testing, in a secular setting. And then finally, scene number four is in house gatherings. And I know that COVID has provided some sort of disruption to what has been typically house gatherings in the recent past, but hopefully we will be permitted to have larger Christmas gatherings, responsibly, of course, adhering to COVID regulations and all of those things so that we take good care of each other. Um, but house gatherings has been an important part of the church community throughout the early church and then throughout the ages. And so, um, there is a principle about what it means for us to be the people of God. We gather not just in large groups for celebration, but we gather in small groups for community. And we will gather in small groups with family and friends over the Christmas season. But here's an important principle, just before Pastor Kristen reads the next passage. There is a beautiful story uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter two, that Kristen will read in just a moment. But this man exercises what I would consider a hospitality gift. He's people into his home to the point where it's just crowded. There's no more room. And, and these uh, men bring a friend of theirs who's on a mat and they have to dig a hole through the roof to get their friend to Jesus. And uh, here's the, the, the smile, the smile through principle as we move through this, that if you're gonna invite Jesus into your house, expect renovations. And it's true about our own lives. If we invite Jesus into our life, we should expect some renovations. And so uh, Pastor Christian's gonna read from Mark chapter two, uh, verses one through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some man came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carrying by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the, mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So just before we finish this teaching, I'm going to invite the host pastors to come back in just a moment. Three quick thoughts for you from this passage. It is a powerful story. And uh, if we need to remember that the centerpiece of this story is Jesus. Jesus is at the center. People have gathered to hear him. Uh, the man who is healed and has his sins forgiven, it's because of Jesus. And this whole story is taught to us by Mark so that we'll have an understanding that Jesus heals bodies and forgives sins. And nobody but God alone can do that. It's a beautiful revelation of the fact that Jesus is the unique one-of-a-kind son of God, that he is the Messiah who's come to save the world, that he is God incarnate. 
And that's what we celebrate as we make our way through the Advent season. But three quick observations is this. If we wanna be spiritually prepared people, we need to move through life at such a pace so that we can practice empathy. These friends of the man who was on the mat took time to notice, to feel his pain, to be inconvenienced, to be creative, to get up to the rooftop, to get their friend and lower him down to Jesus where he could have his body healed and his sins forgiven. It's a beautiful story. I hope as we move through the Advent season, we won't go so quickly that our hearts are so distanced from the wounds and the pains and the feelings of others that we'll actually be empathetic in our approach to the relationship circle that we find ourselves in. And then secondly, choose vulnerability. Uh, we may have the chance to be the friend who's able-bodied, who can get our buddy to Jesus, or we might be the one who's on the mat who could use a lift. And I think about the man who was on the mat. He was vulnerable. He was in the hands of his friends. And uh, that's kind of a risky place to be sometimes. But this man permitted his friends to carry him. And, and I wanna encourage you, there's a time for us to carry others and there's a time for us to be vulnerable enough to allow other people to carry us too. And if that's where you find yourself this Christmas season, uh, reach out to a friend, call somebody who can be of assistance to you. Don't suffer in silence, but allow other people to carry you as well. And it's a beautiful picture of prayer that we can carry one another into God's presence. And then finally, the last one is consider hospitality. Uh, again, this man opens his home. He probably didn't know what he was bargaining for entirely, but he was open, understanding that his place was gonna be of use to Jesus. And so uh, when we open our homes to others, it's a way of demonstrating the generosity and the grace of God to uh, bless others and serve others and to refresh others. And um, appropriately, of course, during this season, let's not allow COVID to disrupt important gatherings. And uh, we'll stay tuned to what's best and appropriate as we move through the holiday seasons from our health departments, et cetera. But if we're able, I just wanna encourage you to do so and open your hearts and your homes to others and refresh them with your presence and your service. So our host pastors are gonna come back and I just wanna offer a quick prayer for you. Lord, thank you again today for the second week of Advent. Thank you for inviting us to consider what it means to be spiritually prepared for all that you have for us. And uh, Lord, whether that be the, uh, the temple setting or the wilderness setting we find ourselves in or a secular setting or a house setting, Lord, these all have um, environments whereby we can become more spiritually formed or prepared to be at our best and to do your will. And so Lord, we wanna be of service to you this season. Bless each and every one of my friends who are watching by, by this YouTube channel and may they be encouraged and inspired today to be spiritually whole and prepared for all that you have for them. And we pray that in the wonderful name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.